you guys go ahead and adjust your seats in a where a setting so you feel comfortable to turn and face the, the stage. But listen, I want to talk to you guys today about doors. Already you've heard the story in the Old Testament how God asked the Israelites when the death angel, that final plague against Egypt and Pharaoh, uh, when the death angel passes the homes that the oldest son would die. And that the way to save your sons, the way to save your people, Israel, is to take the blood of an innocent lamb and put it on the doorposts, the door frames of your home. Thus representing the Old Testament idea of God's seriousness about sin. The payment for sin was death. And that was established way back in the Old Testament and carried all the way to the New Testament and now even uh, as we understand what Jesus did. So I'm going to talk to you about doors today. I'm going to talk to you about what the purpose of a door is. And when you think about it, what does a door do? I mean, it allows you to go in. It allows you to come out. It it provides security. It provides uh, some safety, right? Every night or many nights, Lisa's like, did you lock the doors, right? She wants to make sure it's my job. Like, did you lock the doors? And some nights uh, we'll wake up in the morning and she'll look out and the garage door was left open and I had fallen asleep on the couch. Our, 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 our whole uh, home was just completely open to whoever wanted to come in. But anyway, so uh, it, not that secure in that case. It creates privacy. Uh, it allows you to have this entrance into something special sometimes, right? You think about that, uh, there's an old game show that we used to watch. You say, choose door number one, door number two, or door number three. Or you could choose this box that I have in my hand. And if you chose door number three, it just happened to either be something great or it could be a zonk. Have you guys seen that? You know, and uh, make a deal kind of deal. And so you understand doors are important. Now, they're not just important to us. They were important all the way through the Scripture. In the Old Testament, Cain was told, the brother of Abel, was told sin is crouching at your door. And so symbolically, even doors were used in the Old Testament. Nehemiah put the doors of the great wall into place and rebuilt the wall. In Psalm chapter 24, we're told that the king of glory can come through the door. In Isaiah 26, the presence of God was so incredible that they hid behind the door from his presence. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, close your door and pray in privacy. So just between you and God, pray in that closet. Matthew chapter 7, verse 8, it says, knock and the door will be open to you. So when you're praying and when you're seeking God, if you are knocking on that door, it's sort of symbolic and figurative, but it's meaningful. God, I'm knocking on your door. And he says, now I'm going to open it to you. Luke chapter 13, verse 22 says, the narrow door is the entrance uh, Jesus is the narrow door. That's the entrance to, to heaven. And so I got the most narrow door I could find, right? And uh, to illustrate the narrow door. Uh, Acts, in Acts, uh, we're told that the doors of the jail were open when they prayed. And God did something miraculous. Also in Acts, it's used as kind of figurative language. Paul said God opened a door for us. And of course in Revelation, we see the idea that God placed a door that nobody can shut except for God himself. In Revelation chapter 4, we're told that John is taken to a scene in heaven and it says the door is open and John is able to look through and see into heaven. All through the scripture, we see the value uh, and the significance of doors. Nowhere is it more significant 
than in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14 through 15, where God said to Moses, he said, I am who I am, and he mentioned to the people, he said, listen, when you come to that moment where, where the death angel is going to pass, I'm going to put the blood of an innocent lamb on the doorframe of your home. I want you to do that, and you'll be saved. Uh, we also know that it's significant because in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 9, all of the Israelites, these, these people that followed God, God said, I want you to write the scripture, this idea, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. I want you to put it on the door frame of your home, and put it on your heart, put it on your head. Now, he meant it figuratively, but he was like, I wanted you to put it so that no matter where your family goes, they will understand the most important thing in life is to love the Lord your God. And so that is the significance of doors. John chapter 10, Jesus takes all of that and helps us reflect on doors in a way that is significantly meaningful. Jesus just says it this way, I am the door. Now, this is one of the I am statements of Jesus. He said several of them in the book of John, I am the way, I am the gate, I am the door. Uh, and, and so as he goes through these, we're reminded back in an Old Testament idea where God told Moses, and Moses said, I don't know how I'm going to go to Pharaoh. How will I ever speak for you, God? I, I have a stuttering problem. I can't even talk that well. How will I do it? And who will I tell that sent me? And God just says, Moses, just tell him I am sent you. I am. That's all you got to say. And so then later in John, uh, John chapter 8, Jesus tells them, before Abraham was born, I am. So he's kind of reflecting and saying, listen, guys, I'm God. I'm God in the flesh. I am him. I am the Messiah. I am the one coming to save people from their sins. And so Jesus says, one of these great I am statements, I am the door. Now, I want to talk about the door today. I want to talk about the significance of it. I want you to see three things about this door right out of John chapter 10. The first one is, this is a door of salvation. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now, in order to understand salvation, you have to understand why we needed to be saved in the first place. You can't actually appreciate salvation until you understand what we need to be saved for. You see, the Bible was very clear. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory, every single person. Is there any perfect people in here today? No, if you are, there's no perfect people allowed, all right? Um, nobody's ever been perfect except for Jesus. We all have stuff that we know is, uh, we still work on, right? And the Bible says even if you have one sin in your life, there's a punishment for that sin, and that, is, that punishment is death. That's how serious God is about, about sin. And so all through the Old Testament, they gave animal sacrifices to kind of represent what would be needed to pay for sin. But none of them, none of the animal sacrifices fully paid for sin. It wasn't until Christ came, God who came in the flesh, who said, they can't pay it on their own, and so I'm going to pay it for them. So he lived as a man, died a redeeming death. He paid for your price and mine on the cross. The Bible calls him the Lamb of God. And therefore, this Old Testament story, where this innocent lamb blood was spread on the doorpost, now becomes a foreshadowing of what Jesus, the innocent Lamb of God, would do for us as he gave his blood, his life for us, so that we would be able to have the opportunity to be saved. Jesus said, I am the door. Now, notice he didn't say, I'm one of many doors. Hey, there's a bunch of options. 
It's very popular today. You know that, don't you? Everybody thinks all roads lead to heaven. I hear it in classes when I teach on these topics. Students say, it doesn't matter how you get there. All gods are the same. All roads are the same. But there are, there are several problems with that. Number one, only Jesus Christ gave his life for us. Only Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. So when we think about ways to heaven, the Bible says about, about Jesus in Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. John chapter 14, Jesus said it this way, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And so that means you can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your way to heaven. You'll never be good enough. Jesus just said, I'm the way. Through my payment on the cross, you can have entrance into forgiveness of sins, eternal life in heaven, and you can have God's presence in your life. Now, some people, when you say, hey, Jesus is the only way, they might say, well, that's kind of exclusive, isn't it? I mean, really, he's the only way? I mean, who is he to say he's the only way after all? I like to say, uh, give an illustration here, that if the president called you, um, politics aside for all of you who have issues, um, but if the president called you and he goes, hey, I want you to come to the White House, and you go, awesome, I've never been to the White House before, and he says, now listen, you got to listen carefully, I'm going to send you a letter, and the letter's going to give you very specific instructions on how to get in, because you aren't just getting in on your own, and you go, that's so exclusive, Mr. President. I can't believe that. You'd send me a letter and give me the only way to get into the White House? He goes, well, you choose what you want to choose. The letter comes in the mail. It gives you very specific detailed instructions about what road to take, what back alley to drive to, what door to go to, and the security is going to be looking for you, and they're going to know when you're coming, and they're going to give you entrance into the White House. Now, how many of you think that's exclusive, or how many of you think that's just a wonderful invitation? You see, if, if the president said this is the way to go, I guarantee you that I guess as much as you might want to say, hey, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going down that alley. I'm not going into that road. I'm pole vaulting over the gate, man, and I am running for all I've got on the front lawn of the White House. I am going to lay myself across the steps of the White House, and I'm going to rush, and I'm going to start beating the door down, saying I'm his friend. Let me in. Now, how many of you think that's not going to work? No, you're getting shot. So it's not going to happen. Now, is that exclusive of the president? I can't believe he would do that. It's only exclusive if it's the truth. And it is. And it's meaningful if the president himself said, hey, I want you to come and here's how to get here. When the God of the universe enters our world, he plans it through all of human history. He tells you about it all through the Old Testament. Then Jesus comes as a fulfillment of all of those things that have already been promised over those hundreds of years. He says, I'm him. I'm God in the flesh. Not only am I God in the flesh, I'm going to prove who I am by dying for you, resurrecting in three days, and we're going to start a worldwide movement. In fact, we're going to split the calendar into A.D. and B.C., and you're going to know, the whole world's going to know, that I am the Messiah, and I'm the only way to heaven. Well, that might be an exclusive claim, but I take it as a wonderful invitation. Now, how many of you have ever been shut out from something? You ever been, you ever been excluded? You ever been the last one picked on a team? 
You ever been, uh, you ever had a door slammed in your face, those of you who are salespeople, right? And you go, that's not very fun. Uh, when I was a kid, um, I was the baby of the family, and uh, Jonathan was my next, uh, you know, my older brother, three and a half years older, and just old enough and just smart enough to be completely annoying to me. But anyway, um, but anyway, no, we loved each other, and, and uh, but I was completely annoying to him. I, you remember that old cartoon with the one big dog, you know, was walking along, and the little dog's like, hey, 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 Bob, hey, blah, blah, whatever his name was, hey, hey, I was the little dog, always annoying and yapping at the big dog, and so... Um, so I can understand why they did this stuff to me, but my brother had a, had a friend named Andrew Lakin, and I remember we were riding in our station wagon <laughs> uh, one day, and you remember the station wagons that had the seat that looked out the back window? Anybody remember these? Anybody born after 19, uh, or before 1970? Anyway, you remember these? And um, anyway, so it had a back seat, guys, who, you, know, you looked out the back, and as you're driving, there's no wonder we got car sick so much as kids, you know. They were looking out the back. And there was a cubby hole between the third, the second seat, and this last seat. My brother and his friend were sitting across the back seat with their legs across. I was in the cubby hole. And so I was like, hey, I want to get back there too. And so I jump. And as I jump over, both my brother and his buddy, I don't know how they came up with this idea, they both like flipped their legs up just as I got there. Boom, my head hits the back. And now we, whatever we were headed, we took an alternate route and headed to the hospital, okay? Because was, it was sort of bloody. Anyway. Another time, uh, we were at the house, and we had a bathroom attached to our room. And Andrew Lakin, same, same punk friend of my brother. And uh, so I get out of the bathroom, and, and uh, they run around. They're like, you stink, you stink. You know, typical brother thing to do. They actually push me out of the door. I mean, it's like, get out of the door, get out. And now they slam the door in my face, and now here I am on the outside. Well, I'm not going to deal with that. So I'm like opening the door. I'm like, come on, let me in. I, somehow I got my eye into the door. I don't even know how. They slammed the door on my eye. Blood everywhere, you know. My dad had a fast, a Disney fast pass to the hospital. You know, they're like, hey, Mr. Sams, you're here again with one of your kids. Um, look, don't feel bad for me. I probably deserved it, first of all. And several years of counseling have helped me out. So don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's fine. It's no problem. But, you know, it doesn't feel great to be excluded, does it? Well, I want to read for you a very, very sobering passage in the Scripture. We've been in this uh, series on the Gospel of Luke. Well, here is a text from Luke. Listen to Luke 13. Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house, meaning God, gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. Then there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. And when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves will be thrown out. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last will be first, and the first who will be last. We will knock, we will plead, but it will be too late. Friends, this door the door of Christ is a door of salvation. It's the narrow way 
It's given as a way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one will find eternal life except through me. It's a door of salvation. It's also a door of safety. Verse 9 says, we will go in and out and we will find pasture. It reminds me of a passage in Psalm 121.8 that says, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Now, that doesn't mean that you're just going to go in and out of being saved. It means you're going to be able to be free and go in and out. You're going to enjoy this kind of free relationship with God. I'll illustrate it like this. Uh, we grew up in North Carolina next to my mamaw and papaw. I would like to say every kid should grow up next to their mamaw and papaw, you know. And uh, some of you are grandparents. How many of you are grandparents? Raise your hand real high, real proud. You only had kids so you could have grandkids. Amen? You know what I'm saying? Wait, look, we only had kids so we could eventually have grandkids because uh, you want to spoil them. And so my mamaw was such a great, wonderful hostess. She never even sat down many times at the table. She would just keep feeding and helping and working. And, and, uh, and so it was such a wonderful place to go. We lived next door. The, the, the basement door was always open. We could come in and go up those stairs. And when you got upstairs, there was, oh, what can we get you? How can we help you? How can we serve you? It was so great that in the refrigerator there was a drawer that I think every kid should have. It was a candy drawer filled with candy, man. It was awesome. By the time I was eight, I had eight fillings in my teeth. It was great man it was really cool and uh and so she would just feed us but it's this idea this free coming and going and enjoying relationship and god says the door that i offer it's not just a door of salvation it's a door of safety you can come in and out and i will care for you psalm 23 that famous verse says it this way even though i walk through the darkest valley i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies no matter what you go through when you are in relationship with christ you need to know it's a door of safety now does that mean everything's going to go perfect with you no does it mean everything's going to go the way you think it should no but i mean god's going to walk with you he's going to do what's best for you Sometimes we look at bad situations, we say, well, God, how could you do that? You know, Sherry, uh, my sister, has uh, been facing cancer for several months. Two months after Dad had passed away with cancer, she was diagnosed with stage 4 uh, uterine cancer. And, and uh, it had spread uh, in several areas throughout her midsection. And, and, uh, and so the doctor said, we don't have a cure for this. We're just going to give you chemo, and we hope it'll work, and we're just going to keep an eye on it and things like that. Well, this past week, previous week, Sherry had a scan, and we didn't know what to expect. One of three options, it's grown, it stayed the same, or it's, it's uh, not there any longer. And, of course, we're praying it's not there any longer. Why should we be surprised at God? But when Sherry texted me and said, my scan was clear, my answer, this was sort of humanly, I wrote clear, question mark, exclamation point, like clear, like clear, clear, like really clear. She's like, yeah, clear. And she said, now the doctor gave a hesitation that it's not really a cure. It's just controlling it, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I'll take clear, all right? This is an awesome thing. Clear's a good thing. <laughs> so what I want to tell you is that no matter whether that scan is clear or when Sherry had cancer or whatever, Sherry was consistent throughout. Meaning she was both joyful throughout, both during the treatment. She has radiation now for five, five days a week for five weeks. And so whether it be during the treatment or during the time of celebrations or the times of hardship, consistent. Why? Because the Lord 
walks with her in the midst of trials. It's only someone who has that kind of faith who can understand what it means to really have an arm of safety here in the presence of my enemies, God, whether that be sickness or illness or hardship or pain, you prepare a table for me. In other words, you care for me. You provide for me. So what are you facing today? The Lord wants to give you green pastures. He wants to prepare a table for you, even in the presence of your hardship. So it's a door of salvation, it's a door of safety, and it's also a door of satisfaction. Look at verse 10, it says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil, that's our enemy. I came, Jesus came, that they may have life and have it abundantly, exceedingly abundantly. The rest of Psalm 23 says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. He anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Remember, John chapter 10, Jesus said, My sheep will enter through the narrow gate. He used an analogy, a well-known analogy in his day, where we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. And now here again, we're reminded in Psalm 23, we are his sheep. He is our shepherd. He guides. He leads. And by the way, he wants nothing more than for us to have a satisfying good life. And yet we have an enemy, the devil, who seeks to steal and kill and destroy. And you know what that reminded me of? I don't know why, but when I was growing up, I loved the uh, Looney Tunes cartoons. You guys remember that? And uh, (laughs) some of you guys are like, man, this dude is old. All he talks about is station wagons and old stuff. It's crazy, man. Hey, look, Josh will be up in a couple weeks, and you'll get all the young stuff. Okay, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, But I remember uh, that old old cartoon, Ralph the Wolf and Sam the Sheepdog. You remember this? And uh, and Sam the Sheepdog, they're like workers. They clock in, cha-chunk. And now that they were friends before, don't take this analogy too far, by the way, the devil and God really aren't that close. So anyway, but anyway, so he clocks in beforehand. Now they're going out. And now what's the, the, dog, the dog's job, Sam the sheepdog, he's to like protect the sheep and care for them and give them pasture. Ralph the wolf, what's his job? Act like a sheep and to kind of eat them and kind of take them. And so like he'll dress up, you know, and all this. Remember this? And so they end up the day, and Sam the sheepdog has, like, the wolf over the thing, and then the bell rings. It's like, okay, work day over. But it kind of reminded me of that idea, sheep and a shepherd and an enemy. And the wolf walks around in sheep's clothing. Look, the devil, our enemy, does not walk around looking like the wolf. He, he wants to make sin as attractive as possible. He wants to take you down. He wants to discourage you. He wants to lead you to a place that looks like beauty and wonder. And all of a sudden, after you do whatever the thing is that he wanted you to do, you feel bad and guilty and lonely and isolated. And that's the way the devil works. He makes it look good, but he seeks to destroy. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, hey, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. But draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. So what am I asking? First of all, are you saved? Are you safe? And are you satisfied? Are you saved? Well, if you're not, you can be. The Bible is very clear on how to do that. 
uh, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. That Christmas isn't about, isn't just about Christmas trees and candy canes. It's about God entering our world, becoming a baby, living as a man, a sinless man, performing undeniable miracles, dying on the cross, uh, and then on the third day resurrecting. That's what Easter is about, not just eggs and a bunny. It's about Jesus Christ and his resurrection, and that's what we celebrate next week. And when we celebrate that, we'll be remembering once again what Jesus did for us. So believe it. Believe it in your heart. And uh, secondly, confess it. Confess it to other people. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I want to be my Lord and my Savior. I accept that payment. Because, by, by the way, don't you know that just because the door is there, not everybody goes through the door. Just because the gift of salvation is offered, not everybody takes it. And so you have to take that gift and say yes to God and confess that you believe in him. Thirdly, you got to repent. Realize that everything on this side of the door, all the stuff, all that bad behavior that you have, you say, God, I, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but man, I'm really sorry for how I've acted. I know I've done my own thing, gone my own way. And repentance is just acknowledging before God your wrongdoing. And then be baptized into Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4 says, don't you know that all of you who were baptized in Christ, you died. You died just like Jesus did all your old way. And now you can be resurrected to new life. And here in just a little bit, we're going to see Brody, a young man, make that decision. And we're going to celebrate that with him as he says before God and others, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that invitation is extended to you as well, whether it be today or another day during the week where you call us or another Sunday. But the Bible says this, today is the day of salvation. In other words, don't wait. Don't wait too late. Remember that Luke 13 passage. Once that door is shut, it's shut. And we don't want to get to that moment where Jesus returns and we know that that moment we won't be able to open that door again. And secondly, if you've already accepted Christ, I want you to remember the verse of Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. A lot of times we use this verse to talk about people coming to faith in Christ that first time. That's not really what this verse is about. Jesus is talking to a group of church people who once had relationship with him that have kind of departed that relationship. And here's what it says. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open the door and would come in and open that door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And we will enjoy that fellowship once again. It's really a verse for repentance. It's really a verse for those who know that really in their relationship with Christ, that they've gone pretty far away from where they used to be. In a very real and also figurative sense, they kind of took the door and said, Jesus, I don't really want you in my life anymore. Whether it would be my behavior or what have you, God, I'm slamming the door in your face because I don't want you to be in my home. And maybe we don't say it so blatantly, but by our behavior, we act that way. And so this invitation is also one that says, God, I'm sorry. I once again want to open the door to you. I want to repent of my sin, and I want to have a relationship with you where we can come out and go in and enjoy green pastures. Now, we're going to take a few moments here as we close to do three things. Number one, we're going to take communion together. If you're a believer in Jesus, a follower of Christ, when that you've got a little tray of some small bread and a little cup of juice. Just the table host, and if you don't have a table host, just take that, dip it in. Take that communion. It reminds you of the blood of Jesus. It reminds you that what he did for you on the cross, that he is our innocent lamb uh, whose blood was shed for us. The bread reminds you of his broken body, broken for you. Um, You can take that here in a moment. 
We're going to sing a song called Jesus Messiah, reminding us that he's the Old Testament promise and the New Testament realization of that promise. That he's, he's God in the flesh, the one sent to give his life for you. And then after that song, we're going to see Brody be baptized, and we're going to celebrate that together. All right? So let's, uh, let's bow our heads. God, thank you so much for these moments of quietness. And God, for all of us as we celebrate this moment of communion, it's a long, long-standing, meaningful tradition in the church that you started, which is we're going to take the bread and juice, and we're going to use them as real symbols to remind us uh, what you did for us on the cross. We thank you in Jesus' name.